which started as a spec building, you know, we had a bunch of groups that were very interested in, in it, which is great. Um, and, you know, some of these groups were interested, and this goes under previous question, but on the ownership aspect, um, you know, some of the groups are very interested in the ownership aspect, some weren't. You know, one was a private equity fuel company, and they had zero interest on putting a penny into it. They just wanted as much TI as you could pencil. Um, we have it. We had another group um, that's a well-known system that you know was has a propensity to want to own their assets. Um, fortunately, our location helped them get over that to the fact that they're still going to uh, lease it from us. Um, but you know, it was interesting because it seems like a lot of these healthcare systems these days, at least in Chicago, are less focused on getting in the JV structure, but they seem to be interested on long-term long-term ownership. This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities in future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. Welcome to today's episode of the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast for an interview with Jay Held, the Vice President of Development and Managing Broker at Med Properties Group. Med Properties Group started with the CEO's development of ASCs and sprung into developing medical office buildings. I know firsthand they deliver beautifully designed, functional, and high-quality medical office buildings to the market. Jay shares how Med Properties Group is developing according to trends and demands, as well as their flexibility to offer physician ownership for those practices interested in building equity. Thank you, and welcome, Jay. Jay, welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Jay, obviously, Med Properties in the name um, is focused on healthcare real estate assets, but do you want to give us the background story behind it and where where you've been and kind of where how you yeah, guys got started? Uh, yeah, that's a good, uh, great question. It's actually a pretty interesting story. So, our CEO uh, and founder, Matt Campbell, um, started a uh, same-day it was called Same Day Surgery. Uh, he started rolling up uh, surgery centers throughout the Chicagoland uh, market. Uh, I believe they got to 20 or 25 surgery centers throughout uh, the area. And once that all came together and was up and running, um, uh, he exited to uh, USPI, uh, one of the large uh, acute surgery center providers, um, and part of that, he had this experience of building out and operating uh, these, these ASCs. Um, and my understanding is even some of them were still owned by the PropCo and not the operating company, which was sold. And that is how uh, Med Property started. So from there, uh, I went into, uh, and Matt leading the way, into working with health systems on built to suit medical offices, leveraging that ASC and healthcare experience um, that it 
you know, no one really had unless you were, you know, hospital administrator or, or, so that's the genesis of it. Um, same day surgery started, I believe in 1994, um, and med properties has been around, uh, since the early two thousands. Um, and since then we've, you know, focused on the development of, uh, medical office buildings and ASCs in both the Chicago land market. And then also, uh, down in your market, Phoenix. Yeah, they have a lot. Uh, and your your properties are beautiful. I take no credit. <laughs> you take no credit. <laughs> well, there's a, a team behind you, for sure. Uh, so how did you start your career focusing on the healthcare real estate asset class? Uh, it's you know kind of interesting timing. I mean, I used to be, um, I started out at a, at a college as a tenant rep at a it's not pushing the weight deal to move over to JLL about halfway through my nine-year a tenant rep career. Um, and coincidentally, um, you know, I had a couple former jail coworkers um, that were at Met Properties. Uh, one was a neighbor, long story short, had a dinner, you know, spent some more time with him. And next thing you knew, 12 months later, um, I was sitting next to him at Met Properties. But um, it, it was fortunate timing. You know, I started March 1 of 2020. Uh, so literally, as COVID was entering. Um, so, you know, my, my old job would have been even harder than it was, uh, in the tenant rep office field. So, um, kind of opportunity timing. So I've been in my properties coming up on two years, uh, this winter. Very nice. And you guys are headquartered in Chicago and you have assets here in Arizona, but where else do you focus geographically? Uh, you know, yeah, well, we're very heavy in Chicago and obviously in Arizona, um, you know, there's a conscious effort to, you know, expand, expand in the Midwest um, and obviously expand in the Phoenix, uh, Phoenix metro area as well. So, you know, we're not, we're not focused on a Florida, we're not focused on a California, we're not focused on the East Coast. Um, it's really kind of maximizing the states around us and those relationships around us. And then also, Arizona is a good place to do business. Arizona doesn't have a CON. Uh, so also, you know, growing our Arizona business as well. And what does a good opportunity look like for med properties? You know, it's easy to say, uh, you know, it, it can be an RFP process on a, you know, hospital owned piece of dirt. Um, it can be, uh, you know, a piece of dirt that we like and going out and trying to find a tenant, um, you know, amongst Matt, myself, amongst some of our broker partners. Um, so we can kind of do it two ways. And thirdly, um, in Chicago, in the western suburbs of Oak Brook, we actually did our first uh, spec project in a Heinz, uh, a development called Oak Brook Commons, which is, I don't know how familiar with Chicago, but Oak Brook is kind of a, when you go west of the city, it's kind of the main office hub um, that's not in the city. So there's a Heinz development, mixed use. Um, we've got about an acre of land in there that we're doing uh, an MOB. We break ground in just a few weeks. And that was our first spec deal. We thought, you know, this location, the demand, um, someone will, we, if we build it, they will come in, knock on wood or in lease. And uh, hopefully the lease gets, you know, wrapped up in the next few weeks. So we'll be breaking ground right as we have a completed lease. So spec building, it started as a spec building that knock on wood will be, you know, when we break ground, won't be a spec building anymore. <laughs> do you do that in Arizona? Uh, we don't. Uh, <laughs> I would say we probably should uh, based on the demand <laughs> and the velocity out there. Yeah. 
Um, so when you when you develop a, a building and you, you're attracting in medical building, you're attracting physicians to it. Do you guys have any sort of structure for physician ownership or is it purely just lease? You know, it's, it, it's interesting. It, Matt seems to be very common, almost a requirement in Phoenix, um, you know, from some of the deals we've looked at, um, you know, I don't know if it's a retention thing with the health systems, you know, we've heard it from health systems, we've heard it from individual physicians. Um, it's certainly something we've, we've offered and we've considered um, and have done in the past, um, especially on some of the surgery centers uh, we developed. But I mean, I, I, we think, you know, to a certain extent, having a partner, whether it's a health system or physician group, I mean, it kind of aligns everyone. Um, you know, it also proves to the market when it's time to exit that the tenant's sticky, um, very sticky. Um, so yeah, that's certainly something we, you know, we, we look at and, you know, is, seems common practice, common practice to us. And do you have a interesting transaction story you want to share with the audience? One that's, I mean, they're all, they all, none of them ever turn out the way you plan, but is there, is there one Um, particular on top of your mind? A lot of them, uh, since I started a little less than two years ago, uh, started, uh, right after I came on and, um, I'm, we're still hoping to finish them. Uh, we're very close on a handful. So, you know, I'd say, you know, I'd say the most interesting one and it's probably is our, is our spec building on an Oak Brook, um, which started as a spec building. You know, we had a bunch of groups that were very interested in, in it, which is great. Um, and, you know, we'll, some of these groups were interested, and this goes under previous question on the ownership aspect. Um, you know, some of the groups are very interested in the ownership aspect. Some weren't. You know, one was a private equity fuel company, and they had zero interest on in putting a penny into it. They just wanted as much TI as you could pencil. Um, we have it. We had another group um, that's a well-known system that you know was has a propensity to want to own their assets. Um, fortunately, our location helped them get over that to the fact that they're still going to uh, lease it from us. Um, but, you know, it was interesting because it seems like a lot of these healthcare systems these days, at least in Chicago, are less focused on getting in the JV structure, but they seem to be interested on long-term long-term ownership. Um, so this project that we're working on, and we'll see what happens, you know, the building has been programmed. It'll be several, several years before you know, they've been occupied. Um, but that's a long-winded answer of, of the most interesting one, just because you had two or three systems that were looking at it completely differently. And, and I mean, are you guys able to offer ownership to some, but not others, like really be able to accommodate what the tenant's looking for if someone doesn't someone just wants tenant improvements, you know, obviously being able to try to work with them as much as you can. And then another one that does want some physician ownership, are you guys um, able to offer different opportunities? Yeah. And I, you know, I think absolutely. I think, you know, it gets everyone aligned. Um, and uh, I think it doesn't do anything but kind of help a, create a stronger partnership that everyone's, you know, got the same goals to keep costs low, deliver on time. And deliver good product. So, yeah, it's certainly something 
you know, we, we would never turn that down for, you know, the tenants wanting a, wanting a piece of the deal. And do you, does uh, Med Properties prefer to do just medical office buildings, maybe with a surgery center? Or are you guys getting into any specialty hospitals or anything like that? You know, right now we haven't. We've really tried to focus on the medical office building um, and ASCs. You know, typically, the ASC is part of the building. Um, right. It's not a standalone, uh, just because, at least in my experience, there, there are less of those. But, uh, you know, there, there are some different... I guess it's kind of this whole office versus retail, retail accessibility concept comes along. I wouldn't be surprised if down the road, you know, our future projects have a wider range of services provided, like a micro hospital or emergency room. Um, I think the biggest driver for us is is the tenant um, than anything else. And you know, how has the pandemic affected your approach, if at all, to pursuing opportunities? Do you guys, uh, you know, do you factor in kind of an unknown black swan event um, or or how are you kind of processing what happened during the pandemic to your future endeavors? Yeah, I'd say, um, you know, this is, I kind of joke with my coworkers at my old job, but um, you know, nothing's really fortunately slowed down. I mean, everything's slowed down a little bit, uh, but and things have been put on hold for six to nine months, but, you know, everything that we had started or had planned to start has either been completed or is restarted again. So I think it's hard to say, you know, we're not planning or we're not expecting things to totally shut down and stop completely. There's, you know, know, right or wrong, that fear is not really in the back of our minds. If anything, you know, I'd say it feels like activity's kind of ramped up, um, you know, to bring the care up to where the population is. And, you know, the, the projects might be a little bit smaller, but I think the velocity is still there as these health systems try to get closer to their patient base. Yeah, I agree. I just, I have, uh, you know, I, when I meet new people and they're like, oh, you're in commercial real estate, how's that going? And, you know, then I have to qualify that I'm in a niche of healthcare real estate, which, um, you know, it took a pause like everybody else, but that in fact, it's, it's incredibly sustainable, um, because of, you know, it's, it has a purpose to being there and the tenants can't, you can't take, you know, you can't take a family practice doctor and have them operate out of their house. Yes. They can take some virtual calls from there, but they can't examine a patient there. So, um, so that, you know, it's a, purpose-driven. Um, and this happened, you know, when, um, you know, I think retail to, you know, it was when, when retail was had to adjust to, I guess the Amazon effect for lack of a better word, uh, I got the same sort of question, like, Oh my gosh, you're in commercial real estate. What's happening? Like everything's going online and you're like, well, (laughs) not in healthcare. I mean, it just, it can't. At least Kmart. So we'll be okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think, um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, a couple of our projects have been, when I say large, large for, you know, my experience, you know, 60 to 80,000 people. It seems like there's some other groups out there that are kind of targeting that six to 15,000 foot and quasi retail. That's kind of an interesting conversation too. You know, we look at some of these opportunities out there and it's like, you're, we're really blurring the line of retail versus a medical building. Um, and I think, you know, I think for, for med properties, just self-promotion, I think, you know, and for a tenant, 
even if it was a small out parcel or in a mixed use or retail development, it's, you know, if it's a good healthcare system, we're indifferent to, you know, just because someone might consider retail, um, if there's clinical space in there, it's certainly things that we would, you know, take a look at. Absolutely. Where do you think healthcare may be heading like in the next three to five years, healthcare real estate, you know, based on changes in healthcare, um, the fact that maybe, you know, there might be a little bit more focus on preventative care as a result of the pandemic, maybe, maybe not. But where do you see like all these trends and affecting how healthcare real estate responds to them? Um, man, it's, uh, I don't want to, I'm not going to want to watch this three to five years from now. Uh, <laughs> it's hundred percent off. You won't be held. Yeah. Your feet aren't held to the fire. This is based on <laughs> what you know today and kind of go from there. I, mean, I think it's going to be getting out into the patient bases and, and the communities. There was a, there was a, a revista event I listened to maybe six months ago. And one of the panelists down there basically said, you know, in the future, we imagine a hospital being only for, you know, uh, trauma, um, a pandemic type event. Um, and that's, you know, or, or very complicated procedures, everything else should be done outside of the hospital. Um, so I think it's going to continue to move everything off, off campus. Um, and I think there'll be more medical office requirements, but I think we'll see, there might be more deals, but there are more activity, but I, you know, I think the average size is going to go, go down just spread out it, you know, not like you're jumping in Starbucks or, or Walgreens around a MSA, but I think it's going to continue to be more of these accessible clinical spaces for uh, the patient bases. Yeah. And um, I mean, you can speak to Chicago because it's much more dense for sure. But in Arizona, we have that opportunity because we have land. And so, you know, if where you're looking at is too dense, sometimes in some areas, you can just go a couple blocks down and, you know, try to negotiate mm-hmm. a piece of land out of somebody. Um, but in Chicago, do you see, do you see things being torn down and l- different new things being built that are more able to be flexible or do you, do you see the developments in yeah, it's a, so, being less square footage footprints? You know, so we had this conversation with the, a big office landlord a few weeks ago. Um, the question was, so you know what what development projects are you doing like in the city of Chicago, like in the CBD, and it's you know interplan having more land. You know that they're really there's very limited activity in you know Chicago people see on TV and the pictures of the skyline. There's a couple of big health systems; those are all you know almost exclusively owned by them. You know, they're building new buildings in their old parking lots and doing parking decks on existing land that they have. Um, but in the suburbs, that's, you know, that's where a lot of almost all of the activity and all of the requirements are for these healthcare systems. So the, you know, exclusion of like a rush that's in, you know, kind of the West Loop, Northwestern, Shirley Ryan, Larry Children's, that's, you know, next to the John Hancock Center in Streeterville, where there's, you know, literally no land. Even the parking lots are owned by healthcare system. Um, you know, a lot of the demand is moving out towards and into the suburbs. So I think it's probably pretty similar to what's going on in, in Phoenix in the Chicago suburbs, and then downtown Chicago is kind of its own own thing. And 
those are tend to be bigger requirements on you know campus owned health systems. Well, and you know construction costs, as you know, are very I'm sure you know very well are uh, yeah. <laughs> are fluctuating and and yeah. going up. So with this, do you think that? You guys will just try to do more volume in a concentrated area to get economies of scale, maybe rather than just one large footprint of a building in an area. Uh, I think that's a good idea. You know, I, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> I would say, you know, the phone has a, a, a rang it for someone saying they want five new buildings. Um, I hope it does, but. I mean, the construction costs are certainly a concern and an issue. Um, you know, for one building we're doing, obviously steel has been a big issue. You know, by chance we had planned it out as um, a concrete building. It's seven stories tall with parking in the middle. Um, had it been steel, we probably would have had it gone back to the drawing board, um, you know, or working in our construction drawings. Fortunately, you can still get concrete, fortunately. Um, using post-tension concrete um, beams versus steel beams. So you got to, to your point, you got to kind of think about how you're going to build and what you're going to build because again, if our building was designed steel, which it easily could have been when we were you know, a year and a half ago, we got to the drawing board. Um, and with, um, you know, where do you see, how do you see the construction costs being I get, so, you know, it costs you more to build a building. You have to get, you have to raise more money or borrow more money. How do you see that affecting how you guys are able to do tenant improvements and then lease rates? I mean, um, you know, how are you guys managing tenant expectations? Is there a sticker shock or what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's going to be tough for everyone to swallow. I think the only saving grace for the developer doing a new construction, you know, ground up development is that, your competition of an existing facility is also going to have those same same constraints. So I think, you know, unfortunately, option A, you know, lease from an existing building, or option B, build the building uh, new, you know, they're, they're both going to go up, um, which unfortunately seems to be uh, where things are headed in every, everything today. So I don't want to hope it's not normal, but it, it might be. Everyone just rises with the tide. Exactly. <laughs> so Jay, we're going to move into um, getting to know you. Okay. So uh, what was your first job? Well, my first job, I was a, a caddy at a local country club. Um, that was in high school. My, my first real job out of college. Um, uh, I started at a company called Equus, which turned into a company, like 15 different company names. And it turned into Pushman and Pushman away from eventually. Um, so I graduated college, um, like most people in 2011, uh, at least I say that to make myself feel better with no job, um, limited prospects, um, you know, spent six months trying to get a job in commercial real estate, finally went into tenant rep opportunity uh, with a great team. Um, did that for four years at my, at my first employer, which was great. It was you know, trying to hustle office space in downtown Chicago to law firms or local businesses, you know, 5,000, 3,000 to 15,000 feet. Um, it was fun. It was tough. Uh, it took a few years to get running. Um, but I'm, uh, I look back on those days and think, man, I'm glad I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> it's 
especially in today's world, it's even harder to get meetings, harder to prospect. So, um, yeah, that's my first job. What would you be doing for a living if you were not um, in the healthcare real estate industry? That's a good question. I, uh, I, uh, I'm into aviation, so potentially a pilot or something like that. Um, or, I don't know, I'm also into uh, automotive stuff, so maybe something in the automotive industry. Um, not a desk job, something cool. Uh, a like race car at, driver. <laughs> race car driver or, or working for the race car driver team or something like that. I don't know if it gets to be a race car driver. Well, you know, that was one of the only sports that was being televised for a while during the the, uh, the pandemic. So my yeah. son got kind of hooked on that. So it was kind yeah, of funny. A lot of all of my friends and people I know are now like, it seems like a lot of people watch Formula One. I, I haven't caught the bug, but it seems pretty popular now. What are, who are you reading or listening to right now for news, information, or inspiration? Um, you know, I like the Wall Street Journal. I mean, that one's just easy. Um, you know, books. Uh, I need to set a goal for next year to read or at least do books on tape for more books. I'm embarrassed to tell you how many books I've read since college. It's not many. Um, watch a lot of TV, that's for sure. But uh, And then inspiration. Honestly, read a lot of uh, home magazines or you know, just the circulars that you get, you know, just, are you, re- are you remodeling? Uh, a little bit. You no, know, my wife just, and I like to just do little stuff here and there that we can DIY ourselves. Nothing, nothing fancy, nothing too complex, but yeah, just little things around the house on the weekends and we're not uh, taking care of our daughter. Yeah. How old is your daughter? Uh, she's almost 11 months. So it's, uh, oh, it's been a fun year. Yeah. yeah. I'd say she's a pandemic, pandemic baby, but we realize you were pregnant right before everyone got sent home from work. So <laughs> she's just a pre-pandemic baby. Very nice. Yeah. Well, we were remodeling a couple of years ago and I would, I would devour all of those um, magazines when they came home. And now I just throw them out because I don't want to look at them. <laughs> I look at the prices and I'm like, all right, uh, I'm going to put this picture in and see what I can get for a zero less. Because that's out of the budget. <laughs> Yeah. I don't want to be inspired anymore. I don't want any more new ideas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is one thing you do every day for healthy self-care? Uh, one thing I do every day for healthy self-care is I, I make sure to spend as much time as I can with her. Um, you know, I used to, you know, my wife and I both, before we, she was pregnant, we had kids, you know, we would be pretty good regimen of going to the gym or working out or doing a lot. We did a few half marathons, which were great. Um, you know, between now living in the suburbs, commuting downtown, having the baby, um, you know, it's, uh, I also don't want to admit how many times I've worked out in the last year and a half, but, uh, you know, just spending as much time as I can with my daughter and my wife together. Uh, yeah. That's good for the mental health. Oh, absolutely. And it goes by fast. So yeah. the days are long, but the years are fast. Exactly. Someone told me <laughs> yeah, that is true. Are leaders born or trained? Excuse me. Do you feel leaders are born or trained? Oh, this is a uh, nature versus nurture question. I remember from uh, psychology class in high school. I think, I think some people are born you know, born better than others, but I think, I think you can be trained to be just as effective. 
you know, I think being a good person, I think, you know, working hard, showing a good example, um, can make you a good leader without, you know, being born with the, you know, kind of big voice or, or big energy. Um, I think you can make up for it, uh, in other ways. Great. I say I was not born a leader. Uh, that's for sure. But hopefully by set a good example. To my well, peers fatherhood will start that process. <laughs> We'll start that. Yeah, there's no option. <laughs> there's no, no option. option. You have no choice. You've started down the path. <laughs> well, thank you, Jay. This has been a great interview. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for the opportunity. I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.